Well, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Jesus, and we're going to end with Jesus, and in between we're going to see this commandment and what Jesus has to say about it out of Exodus chapter 20. So uh, we're going to start with Jesus, and we're going to work through the uh, commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and then we're going to end with what Jesus has to say about this. So um, here, I want to I set it up with this. So recently, there was a Taylor Swift concert that happened in Cincinnati, and here's what happened. There was a Swifty. Who knows what a Swifty is? All right, it's a Taylor Swift fan. Maybe, maybe there's some Swifties in the house today. But what happened is this one particular Swifty called her boss and said, I am sick. I cannot come to work today. She wasn't sick. She wanted to go to the Taylor Swift concert. And so she shows up to the concert, and she's in line to purchase some merchandise for the concert, and the local news station shows up and starts going down the line and interviewing people, and she has this instant ethical dilemma, as you can imagine. What am I going to do because I, told, I lied to my boss so that I could be here, and now the news is publicly interviewing people, and I'm next? So, I, honest question. What do you do if that were you? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We could get clever with this. We could get creative with this. We would probably do something similar to what she did, but it might not be as clever. She agreed to be interviewed. Watch this. But not before hiding under a blanket. I think we have some footage right here. This was the secret Swifty, all right? And so she agreed to be interviewed, but she was first going to hide underneath this uh, blanket so her boss wouldn't catch her skipping work. Now, is that funny? That's really funny. Is that clever? That's really, really clever. Was it the right thing to do? No, it was not. <laughs> Does it confront something in all of us? Why do we laugh? Because we do it. Why, why do we relate to this? Because we're like, I, man, I might do something like that. I'm not above that. I'm not, I'm not beyond that. I might be beneath that blanket. It's confronting something in all of us, and here's what it is. That we are really good at living lies. At hiding underneath the blanket of deception. And I don't, I don't, it, I don't have to know you all that well. The human heart is, for the most part, pretty similar. We're all hiding behind some deception. We, we're not doing as great as we want everybody to think. We're not as great as we want everybody to think. We're hiding underneath something, and I, would, I just want to draw you out with grace and truth today and ask you, what are you hiding underneath? Because here's what, here's what hiding does. It prevents us from seeing the beauty and the brilliance of Jesus Christ. He, he came so that we would live in the truth. And what happens is, this idea of hiding shows up very early in the Bible. We can go ahead and we can take down the picture. We may come back to it, by the way. but Because you're not going to hear a word that I say if we leave that up on the screen. So we're going to take that down. So this shows up very early in the Bible. Adam and Eve break God's command. They experience guilt and shame. And then they try to hide the truth with a lie. And the lies that they hide behind are the lies that we hide behind. And here's kind of how it goes. I can fix this on my own. Or I can get away with this. And just like God knows the identity of the secret Swifty under that blanket, 
He knows every detail of the deception that we're trying to cover. And he sees us. And you ever play hide and seek with your kids? And like, you'll never find me behind the couch. It's like, yeah, I see your bottom kind of popping out back there. So it's like you're, you're, you're kind of telling on yourself. And that's the way God is with us. It's, it's almost like, hey, I know you think you're cute. I know you think you're clever. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly what you've done. And here's the grace. Here's the good news of the gospel. God comes for us. He pursues us. So what does the gospel say for liars and for hiders? It's this. It's what, what we cover, God will eventually uncover. But what we uncover, God will come in and cover with grace. So here's a way to think about it. We can be punished for covering our lies and keeping them under the blanket in the dark. We can be punished. Or we can be pardoned by stepping out from under the blanket and seeing how Jesus took the penalty for our deception on the cross and in our place, and we can be covered with his righteousness instead. He gives us this gracious offer. That's why Jesus said, John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, if you abide, keyword abide, that means to hide within. That means to, to make your home within, to rest secure. And if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So according to Jesus, what happens when we tell the truth, when we live the truth, when we seek and speak the truth? We're set free. And I want to tell you, that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. We don't keep the Ten Commandments so that God will set us free. God sets us free so that we can go live free according to these commands that lead to flourishing. One, it's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, I'll go and do, and God will accept me. But the gospel says, God has accepted you because of what Christ did for you. Therefore, go and obey and live in response and live in freedom. And so the whole idea today is this. The truth frees us from hiding to abiding. And I'll, once more, go back to this. What blanket are you hiding under? What lies are you telling? What secrets are you keeping? I want to tell you, that is the point of contact where the grace of God wants to meet you and free you today. And this is why God gives us the ninth, the ninth commandment. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, here, here we go. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what is the context of the ninth commandment? Well, it's given in the context of a legal proceeding. It's, it's given in the court of law terms. It's as if God is this just and caring judge, and he calls upon witnesses, that would be you and I, to give a credible testimony to uh, his truth and to what, what is really, really true. And the way that God communicates that he's a just God and that he, he cares is he doesn't stop with you he continues with your neighbor. So commandment number six, you should not commit adultery. God cares about your neighbor's wife. And then the, the, the next uh, uh, commandment is uh, do not murder. God cares about your neighbor's life. The next commandment, commandment number eight, we looked at this last week, is God cares about your neighbor's stuff and private property. Commandment number nine, don't bear false witness. God cares about your neighbor's name. He cares about all of this. And so when I, he's saying, when I call on you to bear witness about anything concerning you or your neighbor, don't hide underneath a blanket. 
Speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because doing this with integrity, understand, is no less important today than it was then. We believe the Bible is timeless and timely. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. It's always going to come in season to our hearts. But the difference between then and now is in those times, witnesses were everything. Because back then, there were no ring cameras on homes. There was no surveillance. There was no forensics. There was no DNA testing or polygraphs. But there were eyewitnesses. And this is important. Because to bear false witness, to tell a lie about you or your neighbor, is among the most unloving things that we could do. And so we, we see that the ninth commandment, all the commandments, it's not merely about just not doing one thing. It's bigger than that. It's about loving God, that's commandments 1 through 4, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's commandments 5 through 10. And so what's so helpful about Jesus is he comes with a teaching ministry. Uh, here's, here's a way that I recently heard it put is um, we want God to be good to us, but we're not always ready for God to be good for us. So in other words, we would like the healing of Jesus without the teaching of Jesus. God, give me you know, the health, the wealth, the healing, but leave me to my ways and don't instruct me on any level. Jesus loves you too much to leave you in that place. And so he comes with the preaching teaching, and healing ministry. He's not just good to you, he's good for you. There's a way to think about it. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus interprets the Ten Commandments for us. And one of the commandments he speaks to, he interprets and applies and explains it, is the Ninth Commandment. And this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. So we're going to look at verses 33 to 37. They'll be on the screen, or if you want to turn there, uh, in a physical copy, you can, you can do that as well. Matthew five thirty three, Jesus says about the ninth commandment, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So what is Jesus saying right here? He's talking to people who want to be citizens of his kingdom and live in the freedom he gives. So you've got to understand, if that's not where you're at or somebody's at, it's like, okay, no, not really interested. He's talking to the person with that open heart. And he's saying that telling the truth is not what we do when we're desperate or in danger. It's what we do every single day. And so as he unpacks this, he's saying as Christ followers, we should be the type of people who don't need to take an oath to be taken seriously. So, uh, so basically, we shouldn't have to put a blanket over our heads to protect or promote our reputation, to get somebody to believe what we're saying. And this, uh, maybe you've said this, maybe you've heard this before, but someone will say, I swear to God, and then finish the statement. Or I swear on grandmama's gra gravestone, and finish the statement. Or I swear on my life. 
Did you know Jesus is speaking directly to that, and he's signaling that us saying these things doesn't make us any more credible, trustworthy people than if we just left it off? If anything, it makes us sound desperate as if we're trying to manufacture credibility and control an outcome. What does that sound like? Manipulation. And so what I want to do is I want to deal with four questions around this commandment. And uh, basically, the, these, are, these are questions you... You may or may not be thinking of them immediately, but as we get to them, you'll be like, okay, I think that's helpful. I think that gives a little bit of clarity about what Jesus is, is calling us into right here. The first that I want to talk about is uh, why do we lie? We all lie. We, we all, we all ex, like exaggerate, manipulate, and say things that aren't fully or it, it, true at all. We all do this. So let's just go ahead and take the plunge together. But why do we do it? You ever thought about that? Well, there's, there's two basic reasons why we lie. Is we lie to protect ourselves, and we lie to promote ourselves. So what are we doing in both cases? We're being selfish. We're being sinful. And we're trying to present ourselves in a better light, in a better character than we truly have. And so we're believing a lie about ourselves, which starts with believing a lie about God, and then we're inviting other people to participate into that lie by believing that lie that we believe about ourselves. So we're lying to protect ourselves. Oh, that, that's what Adam and Eve were doing. Um, that's what, and then we lie to promote ourselves, is to make ourselves look better than we are. So um, you, you look at Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve have rebelled against God's good command to stay away from this tree of death. Don't go there. That's going to lead to death. You don't want that. They did it anyway. And here's what happens. The first thing they do is they take fig leaves. They take a blanket, and they cover themselves with it. And they think, because for the first time, they felt shame. What does a lie lead to every time? If you're anywhere close to God, it's going to lead to some form of guilt or shame. But if you move even closer to God, it's going to lead to what's called conviction. Shame and guilt, that's like, I got caught, oh no. Conviction is, Jesus is worthy. <laughs> I got to do something about this. And so um, Adam and Eve, they cover themselves with, with fig leaves because they felt shame and they saw their nakedness. They're like, we don't want to be seen like this. This isn't good. All right? And um, God comes looking for them. And he knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly what they've done. They're trying to protect and promote themselves because they are now living and hiding behind a lie. So why do we lie? That's the first question. And the next question that I want to deal with is, what are some common ways that we lie? What are some common ways that we lie? And um, we're going we're gonna to unpack this. We're going to spend the most time right here. I want to show you four ways that I, I know I do this. You probably do this. We all do this. And we need to repent of this. And if, when any of these four things show up in your life, I'm just going to try to follow you around this week. Let me show that, that picture. Where's it at? Where's it at? There we are. All right. Maybe screenshot that, put it on your background, and be like, don't do these things. There I am. I'm a secret Swifty over here trying to hide the truth. God knows where you are. The first one is this. You guys ready? Gossip. Gossip. All right. You're like, oh, man, come on. Coming out strong, defined. Gossip is confessing someone else's sin for them. Here's a basic rule of thumb. 
if they're not there, you don't go there. If they're not there, you don't go there. And let me, let me put an airbag around this because we're all looking for the escape hatch. That's a part of our sinful nature. Yeah, but what about this? Let me talk about an, a fair what about this with gossip, and then I'm, we're going to kind of plumb into this together. There's a difference between gossiping about someone and confiding in someone. So confiding in someone, this could be your spouse, and what you're doing is you're not looking to tear somebody down. You're not looking to just complain and sound off about how much damage this person's done or whatever. You're, you're trying to get clarity around what it looks like to live a life of love towards your enemy, towards someone that's hurt you, towards someone that is confusing you. And you're confiding because you're actually looking to build up. You're not looking to tear down. And so this could be your spouse. Um, this could be a very close, trusted, godly friend. It often, often could be a pastor. It could be a counselor. But you've got to be really careful when you confide. And here's why. Because very rarely do, does confiding stay at confiding. It usually turns into gossiping. And it turns into gossiping when the purpose of the conversation is now to cut down and to complain and to go after this person's name. And so you've got to be really careful here, although confiding would be a caveat. Here's what it looks like. A few scenarios to test for gossip. Imagine that you and the person that you gossip to end up in the same room later that week with the person you gossiped about. And the person you gossip to says, Hey, Sally, Sue brought your name up the other day, and here's what she said. If that makes you blush, you probably don't need to go there. So there's the first test. The next test is if the person walked in the room or the office who you're gossiping about, would you suddenly get silent? You ever been there? You walk up on a conversation, and you're like, you were talking about me. And it was not good. And you have this moment. It is one of the worst feelings on the planet. To know that you're being drugged through the mud and not even there to give an answer. Not even there to, to defend yourself. Here's an application of this. Be really careful what you speak about what you see on social media. Because let's go here. When you think about it, social media is the modern-day equivalent of what used to be considered stalking. And here, here <laughs> so some of you, you need to stop scrolling so much. And the reason why is because all that scrolling is feeding gossiping. And it's taking your heart, it's, it's taking your mind to a place to where you're just looking to feast on rumors and spread them to other people without that person present. So some need to stop scrolling so much. And here's another one. There are some people who you need to stop following on social media. Because if you were really to get down to the motive for why they're still in your circle, it's because you're spying on them. And because what you're trying to do is you're just waiting for something bad to happen to them, or you can't stand the thought that you would not know the details of their life, 
that you could pounce on and potentially spread to another person because of the, the way they hurt you. So the exception to this would be if you can't fully forgive that person, then it would be a godly thing to probably stop following that person. That could bring you closer to Christ, whereas keeping that person in front of your face every single day, forgiveness is hard. And when you're constantly reminding yourself of the offense, what are you doing? You're just putting a boundary around your sinful heart. That's, that's what you're doing right here. So less scrolling, less following, forgive or unfollow. <laughs> I think Steve Carell from The Office. You probably didn't think I was going to go here. But uh, some Office fans, maybe you've seen The Office before, but here was something that you may not know about My Steve Carell. He played Michael Scott, the lead actor in The Office. Here was something off, off, uh, off camera about him that every member of the cast said. He would never speak negatively about anybody. The, uh, the other cast members would actually try to bait him into gossip and bait him into talking about other people. He would walk away. He would not do it. He was a class act. And he was celebrated for it, and everybody thought he was different. And I want to tell you, every Christ follower is called to be different. You talk with people, but you don't talk about people. Unless you're saying something positive, and that's not gossip, that's honor. Next is slander. Gossip, then there's slander. Slander is, so if gossip is PG-13, slander is R-rated. Slander is the unmasked version of gossip. Both gossip and slander are social violence. So, Here what we do. Sometimes we murder physically, but other times we murder emotionally. We murder relationally. So what's the difference between gossip and slander? Slander doesn't hide behind a closed door or a prayer request. It's just out there. So have you ever heard of canceling someone? We think we're so clever. That's just an old sin with a new mask. The road to canceling is paved with slandering. And so what is slander defined? You may want to write this down. It's information you share about someone with intent to harm. Like you're not even veiling it. You just want that person's reputation to be ruined. And the thing that's so dark about slander is how it's more immediate and devastating today than any other point in history. So think about com how communication works today. There's four things. It's instant, it's constant, it's global, and it's permanent. So communication is instant. So think about all the texts we send, the emails, and the dark horse of social media. Let's go back there for a moment. So instant. You could smear a politician a pastor, a boss, a frenemy, a co-worker, anyone who triggers you in the time it takes you to type a social media post. It's not a fair fight anymore. It's constant, 24-7, and here's what exacerbates it, is everyone else can hear it and see it and comment on it and add to the slander. And then it's global. Anybody in the world can get involved, and it's permanent. It's out there forever. Let me tell you something. A screenshot is a cheap shot. Since the screenshot was invented, it, it did a couple of things. Number one, it increased accountability. In our digital age, as thoughtful, loving Christians, we ought to be really careful sending text messages, writing emails, 
that we would not want to be screenshotted and shared with the entire world. And the reason is, is because if that gets to the wrong person, that person could ruin you. It happens all the time, and this is what leads to canceling. And so a question to ask, would I want the text, the post, or the email, or the comment to be screenshotted and saved for all time to potentially ruin my reputation? It changes how you communicate. You're like, I need to think twice about saying that nasty thing to that person. Uh, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. What's that mean? That means that the best yet hardest thing to come by in life isn't health and isn't wealth. It's a good name. So, so think about it. You could actually recover more quickly uh, from losing your house, from losing your money, from losing a loved one, than you could from losing your reputation. There was recently, this is really sad and heartbreaking, there was uh, someone in our neighborhood where we live whose house was struck by lightning. And after it, after it happened, the, the neighbors were like, let's, let's come together and let's put together a GoFundMe page for this family. That, we need to bring some relief and love our neighbor. The Red Cross has stepped in to offer asylum for this family because they're going to be displaced for like a year. It's really, really heartbreaking to see this happen. That doesn't happen when you commit adultery. That doesn't happen when you steal. That doesn't happen when you're ugly to people. Instead, you get a lot of shade and shame. GoFundMe and the Red Cross are nowhere in sight. And so this is why the Bible speaks so much about having a good name. As Jesus followers, we look for ways to build up others, and if kind words can't be said with integrity, we embrace the wisdom of silence. And I will say, there's actually a good kind of silence. If you have nothing good to say, keep your chirper shut. Yeah, that's right. That's the redneck version of it, okay? So, um, but then there's a bad silence. A sinful form of silence that aids and abets deceit. And this is actually the third way that we break the ninth commandment. And lie is silence. Think about it. Jesus was crucified because of false witnesses and silent witnesses. So there were Pharisees who saw the truth but spoke what was false and condemned him. And there were others close to Jesus, like Pilate, who saw the truth but said nothing at all and condemned him. Some people should be convicted of saying too much. Others could be convicted of not saying enough. And on the day of reckoning, when we stand before Jesus, our fig leaves shed, nowhere to hide, he's going to call us to an account. Did you speak when I called you to speak, or did you remain silent when courageous speech was in order? And so here's the thing. When you're in the company of gossip and slander, and someone's name is being run through the mud, your silence can be just as brutalizing as murder. And, and what are we called to do in those moments? Our call as Christ followers isn't to cover lies. It's to confront them with grace and truth. Covering lies with silence is a form of cowardice. Satan loves it. But confronting lies through bold, timely speech is courageous, and this is of God. So what does courageous speech look like? I want to get really practical with this. 
Well, it looks like two things, call-outs and timeouts. Courageous speech will always involve call-outs and timeouts. And when churches divide, by the way, it's usually because one or both of these things were missing in the speech of the members. Number one, a timeout. It's, it could be like this. Hey, timeout. I'm not sure if we should be having this conversation right now. I'm not trying to be critical, but it feels out of place. And change the subject. <laughs> Move on. Time out. Okay? Time out. You know what? I don't think we have all the facts. Let's move on. Okay, just keep going from there. Uh, then there's a call out. This kind of raises the stakes. Hey, this feels like some really sensitive information that you're sharing with me. Have you spoken with this person about this issue? And then you drop the mic and walk away because it's probably done right there. <laughs> or, hey, that's not the full story. Here's what was actually said, meant, and or happened. Courageous speech is costly. But courageous speech is the way of Jesus. And it confronts our silence when we're called to speak. The next is flattery. Flattery is insincere and or excessive praise intended to manipulate. So kind of a silly example. It's like the kid goes to the mom, hey mom, I can tell you know, you've, been, you've been exercising, lost some weight. Um, since you're no longer eating the cookies, could I have one? <laughs> it's manipulation. And you see how this is how flattery works. Whereas gossip and slander tear down unjustly, flattery builds up insincerely. When does a sincere compliment become flattery? When it's given to protect your comfort or control some outcome. So protect comfort. We tell people what they want to hear because we don't want to deal with a triggered version of them. Just say it out loud. That's what we're doing with flattery. Or we're trying to control an outcome. We tell people what they want to hear so they will give us what we want. Guess who's the father of flattery? Satan. In the garden, he told the woman she could be like God. She had already been made in the image of God, so that's an empty offer. It's flattery. He's trying to get something. In the wilderness, he told Jesus he would give him authority. The same one whose feet he was under who would crush him through his death on the cross and victory in the resurrection. I don't think so. But when, when we're tempted to flatter, what do we do? Well, understand what flattery is. It's a counterfeit version of the truth. God creates Satan counterfeits. God creates truth. Satan counterfeits it with a lie, and it often looks like flattery. So we replace flattery, the counterfeit, with God's legitimate creation, and it's called truth. We, speak, we, we, we practice gracious, loving truth. So we protect truth by sincerely saying nothing, the good kind of silence. Again, don't have something good to say? Say nothing at all. But here's, here's how silence is sincere, because sometimes we're silent in front of that person, but then we go and we run them through the mud when they're not there. This means you're not going to bring it up to other people. This means that you're going to walk in costly forgiveness, which is a sacrificial call to the Christ follower. And it's a display of grace. So you protect the truth by sincerely saying nothing, or you speak the truth in love. If you have something good to say, say it. Nobody is running on enough encouragement. 
Nobody is. Nobody is encouraged enough. Nobody came to church. I am just over, overwhelmed with encouragement. No, we could all use more encouragement, right? And so even if your coworker or someone at work does not do the project or the spreadsheet exactly how you wanted it done, could you say something nice about their contribution that led to the finished product? Or even if your spouse doesn't do it exactly the way, here we come, that you wanted it done, could you say something positive about the contribution that they put in? And so what we are called to as Christ followers in Ephesians 4.29 is this, speak only what builds up and gives grace. Could we be a people at Coastway Church who build up and give grace? That's what the ninth commandment is about. Third question, here we go. I got two more. This one will go a little quicker. Is it ever okay to lie? This is like changing the subject. And this is what guilty people do. Change the subject. But we're all guilty people, so let's talk about this. Is it ever okay to lie? We were doing our sound check before the message, and my daughter was in here. She was sitting like right here, and I was kind of going through this point. She said, no. (laughs) Isn't that good? I was like, right. And then somebody in the back said, what about Rahab? And I was like, okay, let's talk about that. So there's Martin Luther said there's three types of lies. There is a harmful lie, a humorous lie, and a helpful lie. All right, so here's, here's what a harmful lie would be. Potiphar's wife in Genesis, she seduces Joseph, tries to get him to sleep with her, He refuses because he's a man of God, and he runs away, and that's not his wife, and she accuses him of rape. So that's a a harmful lie. Then there's a humorous lie. (laughs) Um, I thought about whether or not I was going to actually share this story, and I think I'm going to go for it. So um, (laughs) uh, a a humorous lie. So it's like, do we have to forsake humor because of the ninth commandment? Let me give you an example of this. So there were two hunters, and they were walking in the woods, and as they were walking in the woods, there was a coiled-up snake that uh, they ca- one of the hunters came across and struck one of the hunters uh, on the bottom. And it was, a, it was a very poisonous snake, so very deadly. And so this hunter is like recoiling on the ground. He's got this venom in his bottom. And basically, he goes to his fellow hunter friend, we're 10 miles away from the nearest hospital. What? Run, please, go get help. And his, his friend, he... He starts running, and he goes, and he goes, and it's like 10 miles, and he goes to the nearest doctor, and he goes to the doctor, and the doctor is in the middle of delivering a baby, and he says, I can't come right now. Here's what you're going to have to do. Take this razor, cut off the wound, and suck the poison out, and your friend will live. He's like, okay, okay, and he, he runs back, and he gets back to his friend, and his friend says, what did the doctor say? He said, you're going to die. Do we, do we have to stop that because of the ninth commandment? No. All right? <laughs> Humorous, harmless. Uh, then there's what's actually what's called a helpful lie. And you're probably never going to be in a position where you need to tell one. So don't get too excited. A helpful lie is spoken in order to protect and promote the truth and to protect and promote life, the image of God. So Rahab hides the spies who are checking out the promised land 
whenever those in Jericho are coming to like find them and they're on the roof and she says, I haven't seen them, you know, that's God's purposes moving forward. Very rarely does that happen. There's these Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh says, go kill all the boys. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, we'll do that. Not. And then they go over here and they, they don't. And they're commended for it. Uh, Corey ten Boom, who hides these uh, Jews during the Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany in World War II. He's like, I haven't seen them. Okay, that, that's a helpful, a helpful lie. Um, let me give a word to parents, by the way, uh, on this. Uh, there, are, there are three things wrapped up in this that you need to know about. Number one is lying. Number two are um, secrets. And number two is surprises. So is it ever okay t- to lie? No, it's not okay to lie. Um, with your kid, and, and we got to teach our kids this. Um, and then there are secrets. There was, there was a, a kid in our neighborhood who recently went to, to Eleanor and said something to her and said, do not tell your parents. And as soon as she came in, we swarmed her and we said, we do not keep secrets. We don't do that. Secrets are, secrets are what happen when you're trying to hide something you did that you shouldn't have done or when somebody else is doing that. So we don't lie. We don't keep secrets. Helpful surprises are okay. Hey, we're going to surprise mommy for her birthday. And I want to bring you in on this. We told Eleanor before we told everybody that Elliot was going to be born. Um, he's 11 months old today. What a tank. It's unbelievable, by the way. And so um, we told her before we told everybody else, we said, sweetie, we got a certain way we want to break the news, so let's keep it here. And she was at church for like two weeks, by the way, and she kept it like to herself. I was like blown away. Like, how did you do that? She's five. And so that's, that's different. That's a surprise. Okay, we don't lie, we don't uh, keep secrets, and helpful, healthy surprises are okay. Fourth question, how do we go from hiding behind lies to abiding in the truth? I want to finish with this. So Jesus in Matthew 5, 37 says this, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So it, it's inevitable to hear this and think, that's not very much like me. Because my no is often yes, and my yes is often no. And if you're anything like me, you, you hear this and you're like, I'm guilty. Got me. Guilty of gossip. Guilty of slander. Guilt, guilty of silence. Guilty of flattery. And for some of you, you showed up here today, and you've been hiding underneath these blankets your entire life. And today, God wants to set us free. And the good news is this is how it happens. Jesus forgives us from lies and frees us with the truth. He takes us from hiding to abiding. And I want to give you one of the best examples in Scripture of this, and that's uh, Peter. Peter is a prime example of this because Peter denied Jesus. He bore false witness in Jesus' darkest hour And after he did that, he's seen nowhere near the cross because he's hiding. And Jesus goes after him after he beats sin, death, Satan, and hell. And comes back, he goes after him. And just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden in the beginning, he did it with Peter, and he forgives him in John 21, and he frees him in Acts chapter 2, when after bearing false witness to like a seventh grade school school girl who was heckling him about being one of Jesus' disciples in Acts chapter 2, he stands before the nations and he bears true witness. 
about the true God. And in Acts chapter 5, he stood before a legal court of law and the Pharisees, and he says, I must obey God rather than men. He went from a coward to courageous. He went from a, a liar and a hider to a committed, devoted truth teller. And I'm here to tell you that if God did that for Peter, God would do that for you. What Jesus does for guilty liars is so amazing because instead of condemning with guilt, with guilt, he covers us with grace. He comes to us and he graciously invites us out from hiding underneath that silly blanket of deception and invites us to hide under the blanket of his righteousness. And having been freed from hiding into abiding, Peter of all people bears true witness to the gospel with this. I want you to see it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He himself, as the way, the truth, and the life, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So what is God's message to hiders and to liars? He says, I know you want to hide because you're guilty. But I took your guilt onto myself. I took your lies. I took your deception. I took your shame onto myself on the cross and in your place. And there is grace for you. And I died so that you could live. And me dying so you could live would mean you trade the lies for a truth. And you start living a life that seeks and celebrates the truth. And here's what that looks like. You need to be honest with yourself. You don't, you don't lie to anybody else more than you lie to you. You need to be honest with yourself. And then you need to be honest with God. You bring, you bring it into the, into the light before God, and you let him cover it and pardon that. And lastly, you need to be honest with others. There's Whatever blanket you're hiding underneath, come out from under it, go to a close, trusted, godly friend, bring them in, and James 5 says that as we confess our sins, it leads to healing. And this is how, when we respond this way to this word, the ninth commandment, this is how we go from hiding to abiding. And let me pray to that end right now. Father, we recognize that we are liars and we're hiders. And I want to pray for the person who's hiding underneath some lie spiritually. And they put themselves on the throne and have yet to, to see you as king and rescuer. I pray that the, the spiritual deception would be addressed uh, and that we'd be drawn into the truth of your, of your goodness and your grace, that you alone are king. Lord, there's, there's personal deception, there's lies that we're prone to believe. Lord, I just pray that you would graciously encounter those lies, that you would come searching for us the way that you went after Adam and Eve, the way you went after Peter. And God, relationally, I pray that we would be a people who build up and give grace. Instead of talking about people, we go and we speak with people in ways that are intended to bring, bring the gospel to bear. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would help us live this word. In Jesus' name, amen.